0: It's the season of giving. His gift is eternal. His gift is everything. His gift is for you. And it's meant for you to share. Good morning, everybody. Try that again. Good morning, everybody. Great to see you. Glad that you're here. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant, one of the pastors here. Welcome to Christmas at Christ the King. We know it's early in the season, but we're going to kind of press in all month long. And as you're walking in today, I hope you kind of picked up some of the ambience, maybe a little Christmas joy to all the Grinches. Lighten up. All right. We're glad that you guys are here. I want to give you a couple of announcements as we get ready to dive into the season. Uh, first of all, the Christmas blessing, the CTK blessing, continues all year long. And if you're looking for those little green envelopes, they've been in your program the last couple of weeks. If you'd like to participate, they're available at the back of the uh, worship center this morning as well. Next Sunday evening, we kind of really kick into Christmas full bore. Pastor Mike and his team have put together what we call the Christmas Collective. It's really a Christmas concert. All different kinds of music, different styles, different genres. Uh, They were just in the back in the studio back there doing this little Appalachian hoedown thing that was going on back there. And it's a great environment to invite people to come that may be a little skeptical or cynical about the whole Christmas Church thing, but they may love music. And so we'd invite you to in be inviting, uh, actively invite people. Next Sunday evening, seven o'clock, we'll into kick into Christmas in a really, really big way. And we want to start that already this weekend because I want to just tell you, I love the message of Jesus, especially at Christmas time. I love it all. When I read the Christmas story, I love the, the mystery and the drama. I love the, the political stuff and the social stuff that was going on. I love the characters. I love the paranoid, freaked out King Herod. I like the marginalized shepherds and the fact that Jesus picked the outcasts of society to invite to his birthday party. I like the seeking astronomers from the East that showed up a couple of years later and worshiped God with these beautiful gifts. I love the fact that the people in the Christmas story are completely clueless, right? They have no idea what's happening around them. I love Joseph, the godly but unbelievably freaked out dad. I like Mary, the obedient, confused teenager. I like Elizabeth. She's the geriatric pregnant cousin. Yes, she's in the story. You can find her there. And I like Zechariah, the mute Jewish priest. I mean, all of these people are actually in this story. I love the angels. I love the fact that that, that it's set up in Israel. And I love this profound thought that at Christmas time, we celebrate the fact that God gave his most precious gift to us. For one purpose, so that we could give it away. That the very salvation that touched our souls would be something that we would just naturally want to express. You know, the idea of re-gifting kind of has a negative connotation, because we picture it this way, right? Your mom gives you an ugly Christmas sweater, and you have options. You can take it back to the store and be deeply disappointed at the small amount of money that she actually spent on her precious baby boy, right? Right? You can do that, or you can take that ugly sweater, wrap it in a gift, and give it to your drunk uncle who actually thinks that Christmas sweaters should have flashing blinking lights on them, right? I mean, you have options when it comes to that sort of stuff. Back in the day, in the 80s, there was a comedy that was on most nights. Now it's in syndication. You can't barely get around a round of TV channels without seeing Seinfeld at some level, all right? Jerry and his friends, Elaine and George, that whole crew, actually dedicated an entire episode to this idea of re-gifting. So if you weren't around in the late 1980s, this is my Christmas gift to you. Let's watch the screens together, all right? Hey, I'd like to go to the Super Bowl. Wait, you kidding? Here, two tickets, have a good time. Tim, you didn't have to get me a thank you gift. I know, it's a label maker. Oh, is that a label maker? Yes, it is. I got it as a gift. It's a uh, label, Baby Junior. You know, those things make great gifts. I just got one of those for Tim Watley for Christmas. Tim Watley? Yeah. Who sent you that one? One Tim Watley? No. My Tim Watley? The same. He sent it as a thank you for my Super Bowl ticket. He recycled this gift. He's a re-gifter. Are you even vaguely familiar with the concept of giving? Didn't he re-gift the label maker? Possibly. Well, if he can re-gift, why can't you de-gift? Well, here, take Watley's label maker. I don't want to see it again. Is this a label maker? I just came by to pick up my label maker. Uh, okay. You don't have the label maker, do you? Uh, no. I knew it! You're a re-gifter! So that's the picture. The culture has, right? You take stuff you don't want, you just put it in a different package, you can give it away to somebody else, some unsuspecting victim, right? So we re-gift items and the perception is we don't care about them or they don't hold on to any value to us, but that's not always the case. Years ago, my wife got a beautiful ring from her dad. It was called the Stairway to Heaven, okay? Not the Led Zeppelin type, different kind, okay? Catch up with me, people, all right? And she wore it for years. It was just a, a reminder constantly of how much her dad loved her. And I loved it when I would see it on her finger because of how precious that it was. And when dad passed away many, many years ago, it became even more precious to us. Well, this year when McKenna graduated from high school, we had the the ring kind of redone and now she wears it as a beautiful reminder of of a grandpa that dearly loves her, but they never had the pleasure and the honor of being able to meet each other. You know, that re-gift is one of the most precious kind. And today I want to open up the Bible to a passage you wouldn't normally think of and associate with Christmas. And we're going to walk really, really fast because the apostle Paul teaches us in 1 Corinthians 15 that the message of Jesus is the most precious regift that a believer can ever offer to another human being. So, they've had a lot of coffee. We're going to go really, really fast. You're going to have to write because we're going to march through this scripture very quickly. The Bible says, now, brothers and sisters, so that's for everybody, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you. Gospel, fancy word for the good news and the great story of Jesus Christ, okay? I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word that I preached to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. For what I received... I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So listen to what Paul says about the message of Jesus and get ready to write really fast. Okay, the message of Jesus is continual. He says, I wanna remind you. So we need to be reminded all of the time that Christmas is actually about Jesus. Your Christmas has to have Jesus at the center. If Jesus is not at the center, there's no center at all. We need to be reminded that Jesus... Jesus is in every moment of every day, of every week, of every month, of every year, of every place, of every thought, of every person. We need to be reminded that Jesus should affect every single decision we're making this time of year and the rest of the year. We need to be reminded to keep Jesus as the central focus or something inevitably will happen. If Jesus is not at the center of your Christmas, you will be in the center of your Christmas. And we know that will not go well for any of us. Okay, let's keep going. The message of Jesus is continual. Secondly, the message of Jesus is proclamational. He says, I preached it to you. If I didn't believe the message of Jesus should be preached, I'm completely wasting my time, should take off the microphone and walk off the stage right now. I believe the message of Jesus needs to be preached. I believe it needs to be shouted sometimes. I think it needs to be whispered. I think it needs to be poured out of all of us. I believe sometimes it needs to be preached in words and sometimes it needs to be preached in actions. It needs to be proclaimed because I believe it's a story worth telling. If I didn't believe that, I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing right now. I mean, every single week we show up and we talk about the same guy over and over again. We talk about Jesus. Why? Because we actually believe he's worth talking about. Can I get an amen from the 1115? I think he's worth talking about, right? Why? Because Jesus changes lives. He changes broken hearts. He changes broken bodies and minds. He restores devastated lives. Let's keep going. The message of Jesus is proclamational. It's also personal. Paul says, you received this. And this should be personal for you. Hopefully, it's personal for you because it's personal for me. I mean, I can testify. Jesus saved me from my own sin, saved me from my own stupidity, right? Saved me from everything that I tried to substitute for him. He saved my life, saved my soul, restored my spiritual sobriety. He gave me a gift, and the gift was himself. Let's keep going. The message of Jesus is eternal. The Bible says by this gospel or good news about Jesus, you're saved, Here's something that's cool. The message of Jesus is not just for this life, it's for the rest of eternity. The message of Jesus transforms past, present, and future. This is what Jesus says at Christmas time Let me deal with your past while you serve me in the present, knowing that for the rest of eternity you'll reign with me. I mean, that's unbelievably good news when we get stuck in our reality. The message of Jesus is not about your ability to hold on to him. It's about his ability to hold on to you for the rest of eternity. Let's keep going. The message of Jesus is also central. Scripture says, I passed on to you as of first importance. Paul says the message of Jesus is the most important message you're ever going to hear. Now, the message of culture is going to compete with the message of Jesus. I mean, just watch a Hallmark Christmas movie right now and pay attention to all of the different commercials that come on, right? You're just besieged with logos, right? Right? Every company's got a logo, and they all want your money, and they all want you to buy their particular product. And the logos just come at you, right? You know, Wall Street and Whatcom County and Apple and Microsoft and Ford and Dodge and Starbucks. All of those logos are important. But Paul says there is something that is of greater importance. And it's not a logo. It's the logos. The Bible says the word became flesh. And dwelt amongst us for a while. That's the central message of Christmas that is of first importance. Let's keep going. The message of Jesus is Christological, okay? Big fancy word for you. Paul sums it up with three words that Christ died. Now, I know that's the Easter story, but it's tied to the Christmas story. Ultimately, Jesus grows up, lives a perfect life, and dies on a cross. He dies with purpose. He dies and tastes death firsthand, but he didn't die without reason. If you'd like to know the reason why Jesus died, I'm looking at it and so are you. It's Christmas, right? Let's keep going. The message of Jesus is substitutional. The Bible doesn't say Christ just died for sin. He says Christ died for our sin, for all our sin. This always humbles me. Jesus died for the worst of me. The very worst of me. Paid a debt I couldn't pay so I could live a life I don't deserve. And it's a gift as he took my pace and played and paid the wages of sin so that I could live. How did that happen? Well, the Bible wraps up with this. The message of Jesus is transformational. Because it says, Jesus didn't stay dead. That's good news, right? He rose again. He was resurrected on the third day for all of our sin. I mean, the story of Jesus doesn't end with Jesus on a cross. God didn't leave him there, so neither should we. We shouldn't leave Christ on the cross. We need to always make sure that we get to the resurrection where the transformation of the human soul happened when Jesus defeated death once and for all and was brought back to life so that in every single thing, we might be saved. Now, the message of Jesus changes everything and you may not have heard it because I was going so unbelievably fast, but don't miss this key principle. What we have received, we're supposed to pass on to other people. Let me tell you what Paul said one more time. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. This Christmas, we're going to get with the mission of Jesus and we're going to participate in the ultimate re-gift. Don't think label maker. (laughs) We're going to give away the very best thing that we have, What I have now received, I freely pass on to you as of first importance, because what I have freely received, I should freely give. That's how Christians are supposed to go about the season. So we just kind of move through a whole, just, just, I mean, just a lot of stuff in a hurry, right? Well, let's back up the train. We already got to the cross, and we already got to Easter. Let's back ourselves up to Christmas, because the story of Jesus had to start somewhere. Let's go back to the beginning when God gave the most precious gift that he could. If you've never heard the Christmas story, I'm glad you came to church today. Matthew chapter 1 says this. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet didn't want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he'd considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sin. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, We're going to talk about the prophet in a second. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. I mean, you read the story, you kind of get caught up in the drama of it right away. I mean, there's a pregnant virgin that's fairly dramatic, right? I mean, you've got a girl here that just kind of shows up, and it's like, I don't know exactly how that goes together. And then the story goes on to describe that this young godly man who actually has a Jewish loophole that he could have jumped through. And could have done something unbelievably violent. He could have had actually Mary killed because she was pregnant outside of marriage. And in Jewish culture, that's a big, 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 big deal. He could have jumped out. I mean, just put yourself in his shoes for a second, right? So you're betrothed or engaged to this young lady. You're, you're getting ready for the wedding and everything is good. And one day she shows up it's like, I'm pregnant and it's God's. What? How in the world does that go together? And Joseph is freaked out. You'd be freaked out too until an angel of God shows up and says, just hold on, Joseph. Don't take the loophole. Stay the course. Because what's happening inside of your wife is a miracle. That's why you can't explain it. And what is going to come from her is going to change everything. Because God is in this story. Jesus is born, and in that moment, the names of God are pronounced out loud in this context for the very first time. I'll tell you what, naming a child is a big deal. If, you have, if you're a parent, you understand how much work goes into figuring out what name goes with that child, right? Brayden wasn't a Brayden until we saw him. He was actually supposed to be a Gavin, And then we kind of looked and like, no, that doesn't fit. Kenna, hopefully I got this stuff right. If I didn't, I'm going to be in big trouble, right? But Kenna was actually going to be, there was a possibility she was going to be a Kenzie, right? But then we'd come, no, no, that's a McKenna right there, right? Well, I want you to notice something in the text. Have you ever noticed that Jesus didn't get one name, he actually got two? Now, some of you are like, what's the big deal with that, right? A lot of us have a first and a second name, right? Right? Some of us don't like our second name. My my full legal name is Grant Ernest Fishbook, okay? Grant, because my parents liked it. Ernest, because of Sesame Street, all right? So, all right, no, okay. (laughs) See if you're awake, all right? Actually, I'm named after my dad. My second name named after my dad, but don't you dare call me Ernie. I'm just saying, okay, all right? So what's the big deal that the Son of God was named Yeshua? I'll explain that in a second. And Emmanuel. Well, let me just explain it to you, okay? So, Yeshua is the Hebrew name, and we have a lot of Yeshua's running around our world today. If your name is Joshua, you share the same name as the Son of God, okay? Just in different transliterations. Isus is the Greek transliteration of that Hebrew name, and its English spelling is Jesus. That's where we get his name from. So, the names Joshua and Jesus are essentially the same name, both are the English pronunciations of the Hebrew and Greek names of the Son of God who came here to save our soul. Okay, that's the first one. The second one is Emmanuel. all right? Now, we hear that because it actually tells us what it means, right? Emmanuel, God with us. It's like, oh, that's nice, right? <laughs> I like that. You know, I'm a little lonely today or life's a little hard. God's with me, Emmanuel. I like that. That is not the response that the first century Jews would have, would have rendered when they heard that for the first time, okay? They'd actually heard this in that moment when they go, Emmanuel, mm, I've heard that before. The Jewish culture is huge on history. Huge on, on culture as edges. You know, we, we, we Our culture pales in comparison to how they look back through their history as a way of understanding how God has interacted with them. And when they heard Emmanuel, they would go, I've heard this before. 700 years before, a prophet by the name of Isaiah whispered the first mention of Emmanuel. Isaiah 7.14. You show up pretty much in any church over the Christmas season, somebody's going to read this verse to you, right? It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. It's a beautiful verse, right? It's an amazing promise. Well, we just finished a couple of series, and I don't know if you guys ever noticed it, but we actually do this stuff on purpose, right? So we started in September talking about margin. I hope Christmas, all every single weekend from now until the 25th, is a little white space in your life that you can just come in here and just go, okay, whew. I made it. I'm good. It's a place to breathe in the midst of all the other stuff that's going on. We did a series on margin so you can breathe. Then we did a series on context, okay? And what we learned was this. You can pull a single verse out of Scripture for your own encouragement. That's great. But don't build a whole theology around it because the verse can actually become more precious if you understand everything that God surrounded it with. Well, I'm going to tell you something about the context of Isaiah chapter 7 Verse 14. Okay, the context of this verse in Isaiah 7 and that chapter, okay, it's not about the most wonderful time of the year. It's not. Okay? The chapter is a judgment oracle against Israel for its idolatry and faithfulness. Let me put it in modern terminology. Okay, In Isaiah 7, the prophet Isaiah is ripping the people of Israel. He's shredding them. And he's in particular going after a godless king who was in charge of the area by the name of Ahaz. And, I mean, Isaiah is not in the Christmas spirit. Isaiah is not filled with Christmas joy. He's angry. He's frustrated at these people. And he's shredding them because they they haven't followed God. They failed to keep God as the focus of their lives. And they failed to live the way God wanted them to live. And in the middle of this rant, God drops a little drop of hope. A tiny little drop of hope. And I don't know how your life has been, but when I was lost, broken and hurting, it turned my back on God completely. That's when God dropped just a little tiny piece of hope. So maybe you've walked away, maybe you've turned your back, maybe you've done your own thing. But the same message that God whispered to the prophet Isaiah to the people of Israel is the same thing I'd like to whisper in your ear right now. There's hope. Because God's coming. He's coming in love, and He's also coming in judgment. And you get to choose how you're going to meet Him. And I just want to make sure that you understand this clearly. You don't want to meet God in his judgment. Jesus wants you to meet him in his love. You're going to meet him in one of those two forms. Choose love, people. Allow the love of God to transform your heart and transform your soul. And allow Jesus to take the judgment of God in your place. Because it's got to go somewhere. You know, when the first century Jewish readers would have heard the word Emmanuel, they wouldn't have gone, oh, that's nice. They would have gone, oh boy, God's coming here right now with what we're doing it's not going to go well for us at all. That's what their response would have been. Their response would have been, he's coming back to judge us and rightfully so. He's going to be with us and that's scary. When I was in middle school, uh, the principal of my middle school's name was Mr. Gross. We called him Mr. Gross because that's what middle school kids do, all right? And he was a scary man with large eyebrows and a bad demeanor. I mean, he looked like the Grinch had him since birth. That's how it looked for me. And Mr. Mr. Gross kind of freaked me out, all right? Well, back in my day, I, I locked a kid in my locker one day, okay? keep your eye on your own sin, people. All right. So (laughs) repent of your own past. I've had his name was Todd Reppin. He was driving me crazy. So I stuck him in my locker and I locked the door and went to class. Okay. And then someone heard him, boom, 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 you know, let him out, you know, and that was not good for me. And so the secretary comes and knocks on the door and says, you know, Mr. Gross is coming. And he'd like to see Grant Fishbook. I'm like, yeah, I'll bet he does. Okay, this is not good, right? So Mr. Gross shows up at my door, takes me out in the hallway, and he always called us Mr., right? It's like Mr. Fishbook. I'm like, yes, Mr. Gross. Did you lock Mr. Reppin in your locker? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I thought it was kind of cool, right? He, he fit. That was amazing. All right, so he's saying, right? He goes, well, that's not cool. So here's what's going to happen. After school, you're going to meet me in the staff parking lot. Okay. (laughs) So I went back to class, lived in fear the entire time, expecting Mr. Gross to show up again, right? Went out into the parking lot afterwards, and I have no idea why. There was no construction going on, but Mr. Gross showed up with a metal pail, and he said, this parking lot here, this gravel parking lot, actually has a lot of nails in it. I want you to pick nails until I tell you to stop. So I took my little metal can, and I just started picking. There was a lot of nails. I don't know who the terrible deviant was that showed up and threw nails all over the parking lot to puncture the tires of our teachers, but hey, I was just a locker stuffer. That was not my deal. All right, so. But I'm out there picking nails, picking nails, picking nails, and as I'm picking nails, I hear a door open behind me, and here comes Mr. Gross, and I'm thinking, "Mm, I just wish... He'd kind of go away, but what he did next kind of freaked me out and obviously left a pretty indelible memory. He could have come in judgment, but instead, he picked nails with me. And while he was picking nails with me, he talked to me about respect and friendships and how I had done a pretty lousy job with both of those On that particular day, you know the fact that he came and picked nails with me and kind of stuck with me. He had the ability to judge me harshly and punish me even more severely, but instead, he just chose to be with me. Let me remind you what the name of Emmanuel means: God with us, the King of the Universe. Choosing and picking nails to save rebellious kids from themselves. You know, he comes complete with the ability to give us what we deserve, but instead he gives us what we don't deserve. Emmanuel, God with us. What's the second one? Yeshua or Jesus, which means God saves. God shows up, could have judged, instead chooses to provide salvation for people. That's God's gift to all of us. So when I hear those names, it, wa- it presses me to want to do something with that. So can we just stop for a second and talk about the application of the names of God that were pronounced before the very first Christmas even happened? I put it in your outline this way, okay? Because God saves and God's with us, our fitting response should be to re-gift both the presence and the salvation of Jesus to everybody. I mean, the thought of us holding on to the very salvation that we got And not giving it away to anybody else, it just doesn't compute if you read your Bible. When we receive God's gift and keep it to ourselves, what we're really saying to people is this. I want to sing Amazing Grace, you don't get to. I want to sing when the roll is called up yonder, but you don't get to. You're not on the roll. I'm going to withhold that because it's good for me. I just don't want to share it with you. I mean, how... Can we call ourselves the loving people of God when we withhold the very salvation that God gave as a gift to us and refuse to participate in his mission, to give it away to everybody else that so desperately needs it? And some of us are just like, well, that's not true. Just because I don't share doesn't mean I'm not loving. Think about that for a second. If you know Christ, you have the cure to the common sin. And if you don't give it away, what does that say about you? I mean, how can I receive it but not pass it along to others? So as a a creative service production kind of a crew here at Christ the King, we've been thinking to ourselves, what mission could we put the people of Christ the King on this Christmas? So gang, here's what we're going to do. As a church, all of us, we're going to literally re-gift Jesus, this Christmas, what we have received, we're going to pass on to other people as a first importance because we believe it is the most important message that we could ever share with anybody. So our team put together a little tool. It's actually kind of a cool, good-looking kind of a thing. It says re-gift on one side. It looks like a gift tag, right? Probably not the fancy kind of gift tag you might have on your gift, but I think this, this is an upgrade. This is cool, right? And it says re-gift on it. And then down here in the bottom, it's personal. Because just like a gift tag, it says to, blank, from, blank. So it's not anonymous. It's not for drive-by distribution hanging on doorknobs in your apartment complex, (laughs) right? Hide it and then just hope something happens, right? It's not for you to stick underneath of windshield wipers in the parking lot of your place of work. Now, it's personal. To whoever, from you. On the other side, it says you're invited. Christmas Eve services. Christ the King Community Church, 4173 Guide Meridian at 234, 530, and 7. Please come to the 530 or 7. If you come to the 230 or 4, it's really hard to find a place for you to sit. So if you come to the later ones, that'd be awesome. But we'd like to encourage you to actually take this and make it personal, okay? We're not doing anonymous invitations, We're not going to do an impersonal mailer. We're actually going to make this from you to someone that God has placed in your life. And it's a simple invitation that goes from my hand to the hand of somebody else that Jesus died for. We don't often think about people that way, do we? From me to you, knowing that if they come on Christmas Eve, here's my promise to you. We're going to talk about Jesus like we've never talked about him before. We're going to share a beautiful story. It's not going to be like every other church, like every other church, uh, Christmas service that we've done. It's going to be different. It's going to be heartfelt. If you're a Grinch, I'm taking it as my personal mission. I'm going to make you cry if it kills me. I'm going to hallmark you if I have to, right? I'm not going to be the only one with waterworks that night. And we're going to laugh together, and we're going to light candles and sing Silent Night, and we're going to give people an opportunity to respond to the greatest gift that's ever been given. I can't share that message with them if you don't invite them to come. I'm going to ask that what you have received, you re-gift to somebody else that Jesus died for. So here's what we're going to do. As you're leaving today, there's going to be some really, really nice people in the commons that have great big stacks of these. We made about 5,000 of them. If we run out, we'll find more, okay? But I'm asking you to do certain things with these, okay? I'm going to ask that you not let them sit on the front seat of your car. It actually costs a little bit of money. We think it's worth it. But we're going to ask you not to use this as a reminder so you don't forget to come to Christmas Eve, okay? You're invited. Show up, Okay? I'm going to invite you not to take 25 of them and decorate your tree with them, because they actually are quite attractive, okay? In fact, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to take two. Like, what? I got 25 friends, Grant. Okay, you come back next week and we'll figure it out. I'm going to ask you to take two. And I'm going to ask you to do something with them before you just hand them away. Before you decide who you want to invite, I'd like to encourage you to take a moment of margin and pray and ask Jesus who He'd like you to invite. It would seem to make sense to me that maybe the sovereign God of the universe has already been out in front of you having conversations with people that you may never even guess He'd be talking to. And it would be wise to me To have a moment of margin and context and simply to say, God, I know who I think I'd probably want to give this to. But who do you want me to give this to? So they can hear the message of Jesus. And then to grab an appropriate type of writing tool so you can actually see it and put to whoever from you and then to go and have a personal conversation. We get so freaked out by this kind of stuff, but honestly, it's like, Hey Bob, how long have we been working together? Fifteen years, really? Wow. Hey, you know what? I don't I have no idea what you do on Christmas Eve, but my family's got this really cool tradition. We go to this church on the Guy Meridian called Christ the King. They they always do kind of a one hour deal and they just talk about Christmas and it's got great it's got great music and, and it's very informal and you can just come and nobody's gonna ask you for anything. And, I don't know what your plans are for Christmas Eve, but my family's going, and I'd love to invite you to come with me. And then, as this touches their hand, you say in the bottom of your soul, God, you came for Bob. Would you soften his heart so that he'd think about coming with me? Amen. Just see what God does. What we have received, now we're going to pass on. Practical. So I'm asking, just just take two this week. Pray over them. Give them away when the Holy Spirit taps you on the shoulder and invite somebody to come and hear the incredible, glorious message of Christmas on Christmas Eve. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. What could be more important than sharing God is with us and God saves? To me, that's a story worth sharing. So last night, we wrap up Saturday night, and a young man grabs me as I'm walking out the door, and he goes, hey, uh, can you tell the people of Christ the King to take this seriously? I'm like, why would I want to do that? He was two years ago? My friend Randy invited me to Christmas Eve. I showed up. I was a little liquored, just to be honest. I was scared to come in the door. I came in and I heard about Jesus. A couple months later on Easter, gave my heart to Jesus. And I got baptized. I shudder to think what my life might look like if Randy hadn't had the courage to invite me to come. It's hope in a piece of paper. It's hope because this is the story of Jesus that we're going to tell. And you, my friends, are the purveyors of God's hope for this county and this city. Just two. Let's see what God does. So I'm never going to ask you to do anything that I would never want to do myself. So would you join me? I'm going to pray over one of my invitations, and you can eavesdrop if you want to. Let's pray together. God, I thought I knew immediately who I was supposed to give these invitations to. But Lord, because I don't want this to be about me, and I want it to be about you, I'm simply asking right now. Would you lay on my heart who this invitation is supposed to go to? Would you remind me all week long about the message of Jesus? And Lord, I pray that when you give me that name, that I'll be obedient and courageous. Father, I pray that you would give courage and boldness to each of my brothers and sisters. Lord, what we have received, we want to pass on. And I thank you that you've already been out there paving the way for us. So God, as we invite people to come and hear the message of Jesus, I pray that we would do it with humility and joy, that we'd be able to re-gift hope this Christmas. And God, in a world that often seems very hopeless, may we see ourselves as simple participants with your Holy Spirit. So God, as we turn our heart to worship you now, quietness of this beautiful Christmas setting. We thank you. That you are God with us. And we thank you. God saves. May our hearts be filled with joy because of that simple truth to the place where it overflows into the lives of those that you placed around us. God, would you help us as we re-gift Jesus this year? We pray these things in the name of Emmanuel and Yeshua. And all God's people agreed together and said,